God, we are grateful that we can come together as your people and seek to follow you and know you and to learn of you and from you at your hand through your word. And we just pray, Lord, that as we look at this marvelous text this day, that we would learn new truths. You would speak afresh to our hearts and that we would see the word becoming flesh in a new way. And that in so seeing, we might follow you with wholehearted devotion. Think our thoughts now. May my words be yours. Bend our wills to your own and set each and every one of our hearts on fire with love for you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Well, I heard it on the radio yesterday. It was a little, like, just a little news blurb that many Americans are dealing with post-Christmas blues. All right? And I'm like, really? You know, I, 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 I do understand that, but I'm glad to say that, you, that I don't have that issue anymore. Why? Because as a Christian, it's wonderful, isn't it, that we don't identify with the consumerism of Christmas and materialism of Christmas, the individualism of Christmas, the, the Western Christmas really is. Because many of the Christmas stations have now just gone back to their regular programming. And we are in the Christmas season. Third day of Christmas. We, our lives are different. We have the abundant life of Christ. And we celebrate this great rescue mission for us for 12 days. Exciting. So we continue to. We spent all Advent, after all, waiting and watching and staying awake. And we celebrated starting Thursday night with, uh, <laughs> thank God, the wait is over. And we've been celebrating since then about this rescue mission God has. And so, in one sense, the wait is over. But in another sense, we're still waiting because our Lord hasn't come. But it's a, a glorious celebration and we continue to rejoice. Because Christmas is, is saying something no other worldview or religion can say. No other religion dares to say that God, who created the universe, the universe, has had a seat at a table. Hunger, loneliness, homelessness, grief, rejection, betrayal, torture, injustice. Jesus Christ experienced it all. So what does that mean? You ever been betrayed? So is he. Are you broke? So is he. Are you lonely? So is he. Are you facing death? So did he. You can go to him, for he is our wonderful counselor, as we've been singing all Advent. You can trust him. You can go to him with what you have. And you might be thinking, well, Gene, you know, I have gone to him. I've gone to him. I've poured out my heart to him. I've prayed, and he didn't listen. He denied my prayer. I feel like he abandoned me. Well, don't you understand the meaning of Christmas is that God is among us. God is with us. And he desires this relationship and to hear because he's been through it. Just like you have. God knows what it's like to feel abandoned. So this morning, we're going to take this passage in John 1 and just look at a, just a couple verses this morning as we recognize who this God is really like. 
what's he really like? I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 14. And beyond that is where we're going to camp this morning because we're going to discover when people ask, what's God like? Well, he's the God who's full of grace and truth. In this first chapter of John, the, the Apostle John is talking about the amazing sufficiency of God's grace upon his followers. No one is beyond the power of God's grace. Even if he or she thinks they are, they're not. The scriptures proclaim that Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5.20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That Greek word abounded is the Greek word pleres, used here in John 1 for fullness. God's grace overflows to the believer. It's full. He's full of it. And grace abounds all the more to us. It, grace is one of those precious words of our faith. The word originally meant charm and beauty. And it is that. And scholars tell us that keep that idea in the back of our minds when we think of his unmerited favor to us with charm and beauty. John Stott says, grace, the, made up the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's his unmerited favor extended to us, overflowing to us. All right? And grace is not only sufficient for our salvation, it brings beauty to our lives. And when grace enters our life, death flees. D.L. Moody, that great evangelist 100 years ago, said, you may read in the paper one day that D.L. Moody is dead, but don't you ever believe it. Our body dies, but the spirit lives on. When grace enters our lives, we are again able to live as we were created to. We have unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. And it overflows to you in Christ. And that's a game changer. It makes a difference. It makes a difference in all our relationships. Where we live, where we work, where we play. It makes a difference in the way we relate to people now. Great example of this is John Newton, the great Anglican minister in London. The former slave trading ship captain. Philanderer. Wanderer. You know, sensuality that all that he experienced... But when the grace of Jesus Christ entered his life, he, his marriage to his wife was an example to everyone who knew them. They were passionately in love, loved by God. They knew it and they served one another in a remarkable way. It was one of the great aspects of his ministry was his wife. And so when we experience grace, we begin to enjoy the restoration of what our lives should look like. Grace affects our relationship. Grace also affects us in our physical way. How, how would you say that in our physical way? We often forget that our physical existence is meant to be immortal. Yes, our bodies are decaying. But when our bodies do die and go to the ground, they'll be resurrected one day, gloriously transformed into something far beyond our imagination, and we will be immortal. 
And in one sense, we're immortal to the day God calls us home. But when he does call us home, we lay in rest to that day, that great day. And in this world, in our lives where we live, we only enjoy partially what sin has ruptured. Paul writes about this in Colossians 2.10. And in him you have been made complete. Or in other words, full. Referring to the fullness of Christ. So when the grace of God enters our lives and we allow it to work in our lives, our lives are rich, overflowing. And we enjoy the creation around us. We enjoy the people around us. And we begin to live as we're supposed to. Part of the discarded image of God begins to be restored in our lives. And not only does it affect our relationships, also within God's church. Acts chapter 4 says there was great power and great grace, verse 33, in the early church. Then the passage describes you know, how early believers began to give of themselves in their ministry, in their service, in their love, and in their study, in their prayer times. When grace flows into one's life, it begins to flow out. <laughs> it just does. You know, and these early believers began to use their gifts and reach the potential that God had given them. You know, take Barnabas, for example. His na- very name means the son of encouragement. His life showed it. So grace is not just for our salvation. It's for overflowing into other people's lives. It brings richness to all of life. If you look down to verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Literally, John is saying, as the, you receive grace from God, it flows out to others. Grace following grace, grace heaped upon grace, all trying to convey the idea that grace keeps flowing to us and through us, out to us, and it's inexhaustible. When John said from his fullness, we've all received grace, he was not merely making an observation. He was stating a fact from his own experience with Christ. Luther said it this way. He said, this spring of grace is inexhaustible. It is full of grace and truth from God. It, God, it never loses anything, no matter how much we draw, but remains an infinite fountain of all grace and truth. The more you draw from it, the more abundantly it gives of the water that springs into eternal life. Just as the sun is not darkened by the whole world enjoying its light, and it could indeed light up ten worlds, just as a hundred thousand lights might be lit from one light and not detract from it, just as a learned man is able to make a thousand others learned, And as the more he gives, the more he has. So is Christ, our Lord, an infinite source of all grace, so that if the whole world were to draw enough grace and truth from it to make the world all angels, yet it would not lose a drop. The fountain always runs over full of grace. See, my friends, our lives in Christ are ones a continual growing in this grace. The more we appropriate, the more we receive. And the more we do with that grace, the more we receive. Only through God's grace will we ever reach our potential. So God is the God of overflowing grace. He's also the God of overflowing truth. 
In the end of verse 14, John mentions, we've seen his glory, glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, much can be said about truth, and suffice it to say, however, that when grace comes, so does God's revelation of truth. And we begin to see things as they are. The story is told of a a little girl who had a horrific fight with her brother. When her mother came in, the mother asked, Honey, why did you let the devil put it into your heart to pull your brother's hair and kick him in the shins? little girl thought about it for a second and said, Well, Mom, you know, um, pulling his hair might have been the devil's idea, but kicking him in the shins was all mine. Mm. Uh, She had better theology than her mom, quite frankly. We begin to see things as we are through the grace given us. And we understand ourselves and the truth of ourselves of God and salvation. The overflowing fountain of grace is a marvelous gift and it's coupled with his overflowing truth. And truth is mutually exclusive. It has to be. By its nature. And therefore our lives reflect that belief. So it's the end of religiosity for you, dear friends. It's the end of Going through the motions. Because all worldviews and religions say, if you do all this stuff, you're accepted. And the good news of the gospel and Christianity says, no, you're accepted now. Follow Christ. You're accepted because of what he has done. Now, follow Christ. It's the exact opposite of what the world says. And all the stuff, Stuff of religion is gone. He himself is the tabernacle. He himself is the temple. Jesus himself is our sacrifice. Alleluia. He's the end of all that religiosity. And therefore it means that there are no halfway measures in following Jesus Christ. There's no halfway lives of following Christ. Do you know why? Do you see what Jesus, John is saying here? Jesus is the glory of God embodied. He is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Not the God. He was God. He is God. He's getting us into the Trinity there. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And my point is Jesus, throughout all the Gospels, claims he is God. He claims, I'm going to judge the world. I only will judge the world. Well, only God can judge the world. I forgive sins. Well, only God can forgive sins. He's claiming to be God, unlike all the other religions out there, all the other characters in the Bible. No, Jesus is not just one more prophet or sage pointing to God. He is God to whom all the prophets point to. Now that does force your hand, doesn't it? Uh, I have to say this every Christmas. It forces your hand. If you have a man, a human being, saying the things that Jesus says, claiming to be the judge of the world, the ultimate God, the living and true God, you have to make a decision. He's either 
a fool or he's wicked and evil and you run away from him or you throw everything at his feet and say, my Lord, my God, I give you my life to do with as you wish. And you build your whole life around him. You can't go halfway. You can't just like a man who talks like this. You can't just like Jesus when these, all these claims are about him, my friends. It's all or nothing. Secondly, because he's overflowing with truth, you can go to him as your wonderful counselor, as I mentioned at the offset. Please go to him as your wonderful counselor. Whatever ails you, he has the medicine for it in your, his cabinet, and he will nurse you back to health. Y'all remember Mark chapter 2, where at Peter's house, they, these four dudes lowered a lame man down at Jesus' feet, and, and they wanted him to be healed. What's the first thing Jesus says to him? Son, your sins are forgiven. Uh, Lord, he needs to be healed, right? The man didn't say anything. In the Bible, there's no place where the lame man ever spoke. And there's no place in the Bible ever that God forgives sins without repentance. You never see that, ever. Therefore, why would Jesus have done that when the lame person didn't say anything? The answer, he's the wonderful counselor. There must have been in the lame man some inarticulate, unexpressed, fragmentary yearnings for grace and mercy from Jesus, and Jesus gave it to him. Jesus was so sensitive and responded even though he hadn't expressed it. So eager is our Lord to give you grace in your time of need. Why wouldn't you want to trust someone like that? This grace and truth that Jesus embodies is not just for our future, it's for today, right now. You know, and we, we have our lives full of his grace. And if it's full, as John is writing about, that means we're like a pitcher and we're filled up to the top. And if you bump a pitcher, what happens if it's full? It spills over. It just does. It's crazy. All who sincerely come to Jesus, whether for the first time for salvation or the millionth time for strength and nourishment, they will find what they need through his, his amazing grace. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. If we just say to God, Lord, I, I want that grace. I want to yield to you. I want to turn myself around. I want to throw myself completely on you. That picture will be poured out on our lives. And we revel in verse 16, which says, from, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace just keeps coming. But I doubt if any of us have really as much grace as God intends for us. Why? 
because we defraud ourselves thinking that this type of fullness is for a certain type of Christian, but not for me. <laughs> John said, Scripture says, we have all received from his fullness. It's simply a matter of receiving grace upon grace upon grace and allowing God to put his work into us. And at the same time, receiving his grace is not just a matter of, of saying to him, Lord, overflow me with your grace. We have to take hold of that grace and believe that we will receive the promised abundance of divine favor and provision and he is with us. And he can change us into his likeness. That's what Christmas means. The, the ideal God in the flesh punched the hole through heaven and came down and made himself real for us. The ideal became real. Therefore, don't look at your life or at anything in your life and say, that'll never change. Christmas means anything can change. And Christmas means you can trust him. Christmas means you have to follow him with all your heart. So come back next week on the 10th day of Christmas. Because we've got more to learn as we continue to look at Simeon and see that our Lord is our consolation for life. We're going to see the consolation of Christmas. Because there's more where that all came from. And we're going to learn to receive grace upon grace upon grace all year long. With his truth. And our lives have become richer and more beautiful and more joyful with each and every other passing day. May we be such a people that receive this grace upon grace. And then who give it out in response to the effects of a world filled with sin and misery and horror and pain. God wants us to be filled with it. All the fullness and to possess it. That grace is ours. May the Holy Spirit help us to appropriate it. Let's pray for it, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that at Christmas time, it means there are inexhaustible grace and truth that you offer unto us. And we thank you that we have the chance to look for your grace and your truth. Lord, we come to you this morning and we pray that you would help us to obey and trust and love the one who became vulnerable for us, Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would change our lives with your grace of Christmas. Change our lives with your truth of Christmas. This Christmas, let, it not, let us not be sent, settled for just feeling warm and sentimental and inspired. Make us more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.